Welcome back to Counterbalance, a progressive Christian radio talk show that focuses on social, ethical, and spiritual issues from a progressive Christian perspective. Beth Minhusen and I are co-hosts of Counterbalance, and uh, as we mentioned already, we're both pastors at Christ Connection Point United Methodist Church, which is one uh, community of faith with two different locations at 4530 A Street as well as 1333 North 33rd Street here in Lincoln. You can view our show online at counterbalance, K-Z-U-M, uh, org. That's right. Um, at Christ Connection Point, we strive to welcome, include, and affirm all people, whatever their ethnicity, economic class, gender, or sexual orientation, because we recognize that all people are created in the image of God and loved by God for who they are. That's right, Beth. Uh, inclusion is very important for us. But despite what some might think, you can be inclusive of people with all sexual identities, and still accept the spiritual authority and guidance of the of, of the Bible. Exactly. Uh, usually when people claim that the Bible condemns same-sex relationships, uh, they refer to one or more of these six so-called clobber passages from the Christian Bible, passages that span both the Old and the New Testaments. Today we'll be looking at those six passages, and the first is from the book of Genesis, and it's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Richard, you've done some extensive work uh, looking at these passages. We recently held a class uh, at Christ um, on on the passages. Um, could you tell our listeners uh, a little bit about this this first story that people often reference? Um, sure, Beth, I'd be glad to. I think um, this story, I need to uh, just read um, the passage from the Scriptures. Uh, it occurs in the 19th chapter of Genesis, and it's a story of Lot and uh, and his family. Lot and his family have uh, have moved to um, to Sodom, and they have uh, settled there uh, in that city uh, and begun new lives there. They are they are refugees. They are aliens in the city. And uh, the story is about two um, two uh, people that the scriptures describe as as two angels. And uh, these two angels are also aliens, uh, that is, they are immigrants or, or visitors uh, coming into the city of uh, Sodom. And when um, they uh, encounter Lot, Lot invites them to spend the evening with them, and he'll uh, provide a meal and a place for them, uh, a safe place for them to rest for the evening. And then the, the, the story continues um, with a threat uh, to these uh, visitors to Sodom. And uh, the, the passage goes like this. Uh, but before they lay down uh, that night, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house, and they called out to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may know them. Let me just pause uh, at, at this point in the passage and say the that the, the the Hebrew word that is uh, translated in my in my translation, I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. The word "no" is the, what we sometimes refer to as the, the biblical understanding of "no." It means to have uh, sexual relationships with, or to have sex with. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're proposing that Lot um, expose his visitors to them so that they can. Uh, uh, so that they can can rape them. Um, then the passage continues. Uh, Lot went out of the door to the men, and he shut the door behind him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Look, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my of my roof. But the townspeople replied, stand back. And then the townspeople said, this fellow came here as an alien, that is, as an immigrant, and he would play the judge uh, over us. Now we will deal worse with you, Lot, than with your visitors. So then they pressed hard against Lot and came near to the door of his house to break it down. But the men inside reached out their hands and brought Lot back into the house with them, 
and they shut the door. So um, that's the the passage which uh, is frequently cited as the condemnation of uh, of uh, homosexual um, homosexuality, and uh, by extrapolation, uh, a condemnation of uh, LGBTQ persons in, in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's important to, uh, and, and, and I should say that that in popular culture, Sodom and Gomorrah have become conventional uh, symbols of heinous sins and severe, severe d- disaster. Um, in some ways, they symbol the city symbolized the worst of of anything that you can imagine. Uh, now, the nature of Sodom's sins may vary, uh, but the, the mistreatment of other human beings, for example, in this case, the desire to rape the visitors to their city, uh, the visitors in their city, that is the, the top of the list in terms of the mistreatment of other, other human beings. Um, today, we don't know where these two cities were located exactly. Sodom and Gomorrah, they've been completely destroyed. Uh, some people, some biblical scholars, place them in the southeast um, area of the Dead Sea, and uh, so uh, uh, that's that's what we know at, at this point. Um, you know, the um, it's important to recognize in interpreting this passage that uh, it is about homosexual uh, activity, but it's not consensual sex. Right. Uh, instead, it's a violent gang rape. Uh, that is contemplated by the the the, the, the men of, of Sodom. So the the text uses this threat of homosexual rape uh, as a means of um, talking about and condemning uh, abusive violence and inhospitable being inhospitable to guests and, and immigrants or is the the word is usually translated aliens. Mm-hmm. The the text does not talk about homosexual activity or homosexual orientation generally. It doesn't talk about nonviolent sexual behavior. Instead, it's important to understand that it's condemning uh, a violent sexual abuse uh, and inhospita- inhospitality. Um, to guests. <clears throat> we, we, we need to understand that, um, in a way, this passage, well, this passage in the 19th chapter of Genesis is a parallel passage to another story that occurs in the previous chapter, in chapter 18. Mm-hmm. In, in that chapter, uh, it's a story about um, Abraham and Sarah, who um, do not live in the city. They uh, live out, they're nomads in the, in the wilderness or in the, in, in, in the rural area. And um, these two persons appear to them the, the previous day. And um, if you go back and look at chapter 18 in, in Genesis, Abraham and Sarah uh, demonstrate, um, I would say, extravagant hospitality to the, to the two strangers who just wander up to their camp. Um, they, uh, <coughs> excuse me, they um, welcome them. They provide uh, water for them to drink. Uh, they prepare uh, an elaborate banquet for that evening and uh, provide a place for them to to spend the night and to sleep in safety and security. And uh, they talk with them and visit with them, um, and and, and again provide an extravagant uh, banquet. So it's important to see that in the the construction of the book of Genesis, these two stories are placed adjacent to one another in two different chapters. One is an example of uh, extravagant hospitality uh, to aliens or to strangers, and uh, and then of course Genesis uh, 19 is the counterexample of not just inhospitality, but uh, actually the threat of, of violence, of sexual violence, and um, so the the point of placing them together is the compare and contrast, in which the the point that the the writer of Genesis is trying to make is that. Uh, that God calls the faithful to the model of Abraham and Sarah, mm-hmm. to providing hospitality uh, and welcome and, um, you know, uh, necessities like food and water and a place to sleep. 
But that's that's what God calls us to do as as uh, people who are faithful to God. And then the whole story of Sodom and Gomorrah is kind of a it's kind of a counter uh, example of, if you will, what not to do, how not to be uh, hospitable. Right, and uh, when we see that that interpretation of uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah story confirmed um, in Jesus' words, actually, in the book of Matthew, chapter 10. Um, that's the passage where Jesus is sending his disciples out um, to, to heal people, to raise the dead, to cleanse lepers. Um, and he tells them, you know, to, to stop at people's houses and ask for food. And, you know, he tells them to expect hospitality from the, the people that they're going out to. And he says in that context, truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for a town that, that rejects you or that doesn't show you good hospitality. Um, and so in the, we see there that, that Jesus isn't referring to same-sex behavior at all when he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, um, that that's not for him the most important thing about that passage. But again, it's the, the lack of, a lack of hospitality. Um, that's the way in which Sodom and Gomorrah is, is held up as a, as a really bad example of how to treat uh, strangers. Right. So it's really um, a profound, in my view, a profound misinterpretation of this of this passage in, in Genesis 19 to just sort of uh, lift up this passage and zero in on the fact that it's uh, homosexual rape that's being uh, that's being threatened. Uh, th- that really is a profound misunderstanding of, of what that passage is all about. The passage is really about uh, being hospitable to the stranger. Mm-hmm. And uh, the threat of homosexual uh, rape in this case is um, something that is um, is just the means by which the that the being inhospitable is is uh, is illustrated. Mm-hmm. So to just sort of zero in in on that and not really look at the overall context of the passage is um, that's just a, a, a misrepresentation of what's going on in that in that passage. Um, so I think that all Christians would say, you know, we, one thing all Christians should be able to agree on is that violent rape of strangers, uh, whether it's, uh, it's same-sex or heterosexual uh, rape, that we would condemn that as mm-hmm. being unjust and uh, uh, counter to the intentions of the way that God intends for us to live our lives. So, so if we look at sort of the broader uh, picture and look at this passage in in context, I don't see this as a passage that's divisive among Christians. I mean, I think we could all agree that violent rape is is wrong. Mm-hmm. Right, but I mean, people have have twisted it um, and and honed in on the the fact that it's talking about men raping other men, and and that's right. what what they see as condemning. But but as you can see, we we you can look at the text. We're looking at the same text, and and it can be interpreted in different ways. Um, and our community certainly interprets it, um, you know, in the way we've described as being about hospitality and not condemning uh, same sex relationships at all. Um, so as we move through the Bible, we get to the next passages that are often held up as. Um, as being condemning um, are from Leviticus. So, Richard, could you could you tell us about those passages? Well, okay, okay Beth. Uh, there's two passages in Leviticus. Uh, one is, uh, and we'll take them together because they're they're very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leviticus means the uh, laws. So, uh, the book of, of Leviticus is a book of, of laws that uh, are intended for to uh, describe the type of moral life and the type of spiritual life that God intends for the people of Israel and for the people who are faithful to God to live. And uh, so um, the two passages, one occurs in Leviticus uh, chapter 18, verse 22, and the other is in chapter 20, verse 13. So they're just single verses uh, that we're referring to. Um, I'll read the first one just to give you an idea of, of, of what they are like. Uh, verse uh, 22 in chapter 18 says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And um, so, again, I think as within the, 
the, the Genesis passage, uh, there's some context that needs to be um, to be understood for these two passages. Um, by the way, the other passage is, is just a, a parallel passage. It's very similar. Um, in interpreting uh, these passages and these chapters uh, in Leviticus, um, uh, a lot of people have, um, a lot of biblical scholars have argued that uh, these texts imply sexual activity that is, again, exploitive or violent or lustful. Um, so, if I could use the term bad sex, I mean, sex that is, um, uh, in which uh, there's domination and, and, and there's not mutuality. It's um, not consensual, but, yeah. Yeah, it's not cons- consensual. <clears throat> or they've suggested that uh, really what's uh, imagined is um, a rejection of pagan cults. Uh, pagan would be other religions besides uh, J- Judaism. So in condemning uh, homosexual act- acts, um, the, uh, their suggestion is that really uh, these homosexual acts that are condemned are intended to be representative of, of pagan cults. Um, mm-hmm. There were some pagan cults uh, that were existing around uh, in, the, in the area at the time that the scriptures were formed, uh, in which um, sex was, uh, public sex was a form of devotion or worship. And this was rejected, uh, obviously, by the, by the, the people of Israel, because uh, within Judaism and Christianity, sex has always been seen as something that was, <coughs> excuse me, a, a something that was a, a mutual sharing. Right. So also it's important to note that um, a mutually loving relationship is not what is envisioned in either of these passages. Um, and uh, so it's just... Um, important to realize that when we speak of um, LGBTQ persons or the LGBTQ uh, community today, we're talking about something that's really different than what was envisioned in these two, um, these two laws in Leviticus. Now, um, the, the pastor, um, Adam Hamilton, who's a pastor at uh, Church of the Resurrection, uh, United Methodist Church in, in the Kansas City area, um, he has an interesting uh, observation about these two passages in Leviticus. He says, uh, he writes that um, the Bible condones polygamy, polyg- polygamy, concubines, and the forcing of slaves to sleep with their masters in order to bear him children. And then he asks, do these practices represent God's timeless will for sexual ethics? And then uh, Reverend Hamilton adds uh, editorial, I hope not. <laughs> right. Um, biblical scholars point out that interspersed between these two condemnations of uh, homosexual activity is a whole host of, of other rules. And in particular, um, there's, uh, there's one passage in between these two. Uh, it's, uh, the, the citation is Leviticus chapter 19, verse 19. And I'll just read it um, to you. Um, It says, You shall keep my statues. You shall not let your animals breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you put on a garment made of two different materials. Hmm. So, in other words, in in these chapters, uh, which are uh, demarcating... uh, sort of the, the bounds of what it means to be a faithful uh, Jew or faithful uh, person to God. Uh, one of the prohibitions is against wearing blended clothing. And I, I think as I sit here this morning, I haven't checked the label on my shirt, but I'm pretty sure I am uh, wearing a blended shirt. Uh, and um, I'm not feeling particularly guilty about that. Right. <laughs> uh, so we tend to, we tend to focus on on the, that one part of, of the law that's given in Leviticus about same-sex relationships. Um, and yeah, we walk around wearing blended clothing and we plant two different kinds of seeds in our field and we breed different types of dogs together to create, you know, well, designer dogs. A, a mule a mule is uh, an offspring of a horse and a donkey. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you look at the this uh, section of the Bible, um, it's really um, four, or, or excuse me, uh, yeah, it's 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 called the Holiness Code, and it begins in the 17th chapter of Leviticus and goes all the way to the 26th chapter, and it's just a list of things not to do. Mm-hmm. And, and some of the some of the laws, some of the prohibitions. Uh, make perfect sense to, um, you, you know, to the in the 21st century. Uh, and then there's others that we've sort of said, well, you know, we really aren't going to follow that, that law. Mm-hmm. And so then in terms of these two prohibitions against homosexual activity, the question becomes, why are we elevating these two verses uh, in this section of the Bible while virtually ignoring other prohibitions, like the prohibition against wearing blended clothing or, or planting two seeds in, in your field. And then also, um, back to um, uh, Adam Hamilton's point, a point of consistency in how we interpret the Bible and, and obey it, what, why do we now reject slavery, polygamy, the subordination of women, and the use of concubines, even though they are biblically justified, and then we condemn homosexuality based upon two two verses. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so this all um, goes to sort of a question about, okay, this is a condemnation of homosexual activity, but but why do we take it so seriously? Right. Uh, I mean, when we don't take other prohibitions uh, and we don't follow them. Right. Um, I mean, the way I was taught to understand much of the Old Testament is that it's. Um, it's a library of books that describe how the the people of Israel are trying to form their own cultural and religious identity. Um, it was a tri- they were tribal a tribal people in that area, right. and so there were lots of there like the Canaanite tribes, which are mentioned in the text. Um, you know, other other pagan tribes, and what we really see in these holiness codes um, are is Israel trying to set itself apart and say that that we're different. Um, than these other groups. I mean, is the the Jewish people were a minority group, even even in these days. Um, that was ju- they're kind of up and comers, like just trying to to make a name for themselves, trying to find a place for themselves. Um, and I think it's it's important to note that really what we're seeing here isn't a condemnation of of certain behavior. It shouldn't be read that way. It's it's a uh, once again, it's the just the juxtaposition. It's the comparison between how this group does it and how Israel is supposed to do it. Between um, the people who have many gods and the the law of the one God. <clears throat> right. Um, I think we also have to read the, the scripture in terms of the the overarching message of God's love for human beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, the overall uh, message that each of us are created in in the divine image that we are all children of God and that God loves us all and then then we have to look at these passages and see is elevating two verses from the book of Leviticus consistent with our un- overall arching understanding of God's love. All right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so we we need to take a, a pause for a, a station break mm-hmm. uh, Beth. We uh, we're looking at six uh, passages from the scriptures today, from the from the Bible, that are usually uh, used to uh, condemn um, LGBTQ persons, and and we're looking at them in more depth and um, uh, really making the argument that uh, these passages um, have been uh, uh, misinterpreted uh, when they're used to condemn LGBTQ persons. Right. Uh, we need to pause for a station break, but when we come back. Um, We'd be interested in uh, the comments and questions about this topic from our, our, our uh, listeners. The phone number to call into KZUM is 402-474-5086, extension 1. Or, or you can message uh, us with your questions on our Facebook page. Just go to uh, the Counterbalance KZUM uh, page on Facebook and uh, send us a message in that way. 
Welcome back to Counterbalance, a weekly radio show here on KZUM Lincoln. Uh, I'm your host, Beth Menhusen, here with our, my co-host, Richard Randolph. We are pastors at Christ Connection Point United Methodist Church, uh, one church in two locations with a shared commitment to acting inclusively, seeking God, serving others, and doing justice. We'd be interested in your comments and questions about the topic of human sexuality um, or, or inclusivity in the church. The phone number to call is KZU, uh, into KZUM is 402-474-5086, extension 1, or you can message us your questions on Facebook at Counterbalance KZUM. Uh, so before the break, we were talking about the six so-called clobber passages that are used by many churches to condemn LGBTQ plus persons. Uh, Richard and I see these passages differently than conservative Christians. And this morning, we're exploring just how they might be interpreted in more affirming ways uh, for the LGBTQ community. Uh, so the next time you're in a conversation with a, with a hateful Christian, you'll know how to respond when they start weaponizing these passages that we're, we're talking about. And I find this topic uh, especially appropriate considering today is June 1st, uh, the beginning of Pride Month. So we'll be out at the Star City Pride next week. Um, and so I think it's, it's really cool that we get to do this show at the very beginning of June. Um, Richard, let's talk about two more passages. Uh, 1 Corinthians okay. 6, 9 through 11, and 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10. Sure, Beth. Uh, I think that we need to take these passages uh, together uh, because there's many similarities uh, in them. Uh, both are are a list of vices um, that are really attacking um, uh, pederasty. Um, now, uh, for our listeners, if you're not familiar with the term pederasty, uh, it uh, it refers to homosexual relationships between an adult male uh, and a pubescent or adolescent uh, male. So the word pederasty derives from the Greek, and it means uh, a love of boys. Uh, in, in Greek and Roman times, uh, at, uh, in the context of when Paul was uh, writing his letters and um, going around um, uh, starting uh, Christian churches in various towns, uh, what we would call um, heterosexual married uh, males and one can also suppose, according to some historians, that this would be true for their their wives, for their female counterparts, that uh, these individuals might frequently keep a boy, or, or in the case of wives, a girl, for their sexual pleasure. Now, sometimes the cat person was a, a slave who, by definition, would have no choice uh, about engaging in sexual activity with their master. Uh, but there were also boys who solicited sex with elders uh, for pay. And so, uh, for the most part, these, um, these relationships uh, caught no special attention for a, a long time. They were sort of uh, accepted as part of uh, the culture of, among the Greeks and the Romans. Now, around the time when Paul was preaching and, and writing his letters, um, there were certain prominent... Roman and Greek uh, moralists or philosophers who had begun to note the more extreme exploitive cases of pederasty and had begun to condemn them. And so in the, the two passages which come from two of Paul's letters that we have in the New Testament, from, the, from his first letter to the Corinthians and from his first letter to Timothy, in both of those cases, the the passage uh, in question is a, a list of um, it's a list of, of moral um, vices um, that he lists, and so uh, to just uh, give you an idea of, of this, to, uh, with First uh, Corinthians chapter six, verses nine through eleven, I'll just read it really quickly. Um, Paul writes, "Do not do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God?" So then comes a, a list of vices to avoid. He says, do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomites, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, robbers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. 
and this is what some of you were were used to uh, being, but now you have been washed and sanctified, and you're justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, There are a couple of of, um, terms that he uses in this list of vices. Um, One is um, the term uh, in in Greek, uh, malakoiv, which um, is usually used to describe cloth. It means a a soft cloth, like a soft, fluffy towel today. Um, But it could also be used pejoratively um, to describe a man who was not adequately manly, if you will. Mm. Uh, So in the the case of homosexual relations, it was used to describe um, the more passive uh, member of the couple. Um, And so obviously it would have been applied to the young boy involved with an older man in this practice of, of pederasty. Uh, there's a second term in this list of vices. Um, in the Greek, it is arsneokoitai. Um, and that was applied to men who engaged in pederasty or who were sodomites. And so that term would be used to describe the more active, active male. So for Paul, Paul thinks that um, he uses the word porneo, which is uh, the the word which our word um, pornography derives from. But for Paul, it meant sexual immorality. And it's his coverall term for all forms of immorality in general, uh, characteristics of those outsiders to the faith, so those who would be uh, non-Christian Gentiles um, who had not been converted. So what he has is a list of vices. Uh, Again, you know, it's important to look at the entire list. It's not just uh, male prostitutes and then um, people who engage in pederasty, but uh, he also uh, refers to people who are greedy um, mm. and um, people who are thieves and people who are, are drunkards. These all are uh, a list of vices which, again, demarcate uh, a boundary between between people who are, for Paul, Christians, who are faithful to Christ and who have been uh, become part of the Christian community versus other people uh, in the Greek and, and Roman world. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think uh, it's important uh, for our purposes this morning to recognize that the type of homosexual behavior which Paul is condemning Again, as with that passage in Genesis 19, there are instances of sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. None of these texts concerns itself with with relationships in which there's not exploitation. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Both uh, of these texts, and we'll talk about 1 Timothy in just a second, but both of these texts are condemning uh, sexual violence, sexual dominance, sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you step back and sort of look at, at what's going on in these texts, uh, what Paul is doing is condemning what we would call today pedophilia, mm-hmm. uh, a form of pedophilia. Um, and again, as with the Genesis passage, I think that all Christians today and all people of goodwill um, can agree that we would condemn these act- activities, uh, this practice of pederasty, Regardless of whether it's homosexual or heterosexual, but, you know, that really is beside the point. What we're really uh, condemning is pedophilia and a form of sexual uh, sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. The other thing, too, is that um, kind of those practices uh, of pederasty, which amounted to pedophilia at the time, um, they were being done by what we would call straight men. So and, and, right. and women, so straight people who were usually married to someone of the opposite sex. Um, and then kind of what Paul is talking about here is, um, you know, we need to learn to control our excess desires. So not only were they exploitative relationships um, that were, you know, amounted to pedophilia, but they were also amounted to cheating on your spouse as well. 
Um, right. And and so that's that's more more what he's condemning is indulging in that in that excess um, and being unfaithful to your spouse and you know being involved in unconsensual uh, exploitative uh, sexual relations with with anybody else. Um, so it's not talking about. Um, the type of same-sex partnership that uh, that we see today, and that um, includes, you know, commitment and love, and, and mutuality, and, yeah, and consent, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, let's um, let's uh, get the First Timothy passage in mm-hmm. uh, just just into the conversation as well. It's again, it's a similar list of, of vices, and it occurs uh, in the first. Uh, the first Paul's first letter to Timothy in the first chapter, and l- let me just uh, read uh, the the two verses, verses nine and ten. Um, Paul writes uh, that the law is laid down not for the innocent, but for the lawless and the disobedient, um, for the godless and the sinful, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their father or mother, for murderers, fornicators, sodomites, slave traders liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. So, um, in 1 Timothy, Paul actually expands the the prohibition to include the entire sex-slave trade industry uh, that was going on around him at the time that he he was writing to these churches. He condemns specifically uh, slave traders. And so uh, here he's re, um, he's uh, he's referring to those who enslave young boys and, and sometimes young girls to uh, sell them to uh, for the practice of pederasty. Uh, potentially, in my view, this verse could be generalized to condemn sex trafficking today. Um, but again, any general condemnation of of all forms of homosexuality and especially consensual. Uh, same-sex relationships, um, these are really not being considered in either of these list of vices. Um, the author, of Paul in First Timothy, is repeating to the Gentile Christians in Ephesus uh, pretty much what has been all, already uh, uh, condemned in the, the, um, the letter to the Corinthians. And so, Again, I think it's a, a misunderstanding and a, and, and a misinterpretation, as with um, Genesis 19, to look at these. Um, these are moral lists of vices. Uh, it was a common form of writing in the time of Paul. A lot of the, um, if you will, the secular philosophers, um, Plato, Aristotle, etc., would also include moral lists of, of vices as well as moral lists of virtues. And uh, so in, I think it is a, a really um, unfortunate, uh, profound misinterpretation of this passage to zero in on um, uh, same-sex behavior. a condemnation yeah. of pederasty uh, and say, well, see, this condemns all uh, LGBTQ persons because of this passage, when in fact the, the, the focus of the passage is on sexual abuse and sexual slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the same way, uh, it's just wrong to mi- to misinterpret Genesis 19 and zero in on that and say, well, see, this condemns LGBTQ persons, when in fact the condemnation is against violent gang rape. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I think uh, all Christians and all people of, of good intent and goodwill would uh, we would want to condemn uh, gang rape, violent gang rape. Uh, we would want to condemn pederasty and, and sexual slavery. Exactly. Um, so our final passage is from Romans, uh, Ro- Romans 1, uh, 18 through 23 and 25 through 27. Um, that's that's correct. Uh, we'll focus really just on Romans, I think, um, uh, 1 verses 25 through uh, 27, although uh, Richard Hayes, who's um, a really um, a well-regarded uh, biblical scholar, has written about this entire uh, passage, verses 18 through 32. He says, this is, I'm quoting him here, the most crucial text for Christian ethics concerning homosexuality remains Romans 1. 
because this is the only passage in the New Testament that explains the condemnation of homosexual behavior in an explicitly theological context. Um, so let me just, with that as an introduction, um, just uh, read that, the passage, and in the interest of time, I'm going to focus on just verses 25 through 27. Here's what is written. Uh, because um, they, um, that would be sinners or um, uh, people who are impure, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to degrading passions. Their women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural and in the same way, also, the men giving up natural intercourse with women were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the due penalty for their error. Um, so this passage um, introduces us, um, this is at the very start of Paul's letter to the Romans. Mm-hmm. And it sort of introduces us to uh, one of the major themes for Paul, and and that is um, not just uh, wrong behavior, but wrong thought patterns. Mm-hmm. That uh, Paul says that people, uh, humans suppress the truth. Now, um, in this passage, Paul notes uh, homosexual practice in both male and female um, is... Um, he, for for Paul, it seems to be that, first of all, he's highlighting a practice in the pagan world. Uh, so again, uh, in pagan uh, religious cults, uh, uh, sex was part of a public ritual. It was a public uh, act. And so Paul seems to have chosen same-sex erotic practices uh, in, in one case because they... Um, from a Jewish perspective and a, a Jewish Christian perspective, they are sort of an example of pagan vice, uh, and and they for Paul they they are it, it, it's a, a vice uh, to to do this to have um, practice sex in this way, and it may be that what Paul has in mind here that uh, in Genesis one where. Um, you know, in Genesis 1, the creation story, when God creates humans, he, he creates them, quote, uh, male and female uh, together that, so that they compose the image of God. Or he, Paul may be just taking for granted that um, heterosexual intercourse is obviously the Creator's intention for genital activity because uh, heterosexual intercourse lives to, or leads to the cre- um, conception of, of new life and and, and new children who are born, uh, and so that's sort of the point of, of sex. It's to it's to procreate, um, and so from his perspective, uh, homosexual behavior is a distortion of the creator's design. It's not natural, if you will. Um, in thinking about this passage, I, I really appreciate a quote from uh, James Bronson uh, in his book Bible, Gender, and Sexuality. He says, um, I'm quoting him here, what is degrading and shameless about the behavior described in Romans is that it is driven by excessive self-seeking lust, that it knows no boundaries or restraints, and that it violates established gender roles of that time and that culture, uh, understood in terms of masculine uh, rationality and honor. And... um, for me, I think uh, what's really important about this quotation from Brownson is that is this observation that for Paul, um, when he's thinking about homosexuality, he's thinking about pagan rituals, and he's questioning whether that's um, that's natural. It, it violates the established gender roles of Paul's particular time and culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of understanding. It's also Paul's understanding of procreation, which was not as is not as um, it's not a, a an understanding that we would sh- uh, sh- uh, understand today and share today. Uh, it's without the the benefit of two thousand years of, of, of science. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know. Um, 
sometimes in these conversations that I have with people who think of the Bible uh, condemns um, uh, LGBTQ persons and particularly homosexuality, they'll say, you know, God created man and woman, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And so the implication there um, is that um, God created male and female for procreation. And so LGBTQ persons' uh, practices are inconsistent with God's design with sort of with nature because they, they don't lead to the procreation of of, uh, of a child. And historically within the Church, uh, within the Roman Catholic Church, for example, sex, um, and, and, and in other traditions as well, sex was seen as part of, um, it was seen, the purpose of sex was to procreate. Mm-hmm. So you had sex in order to have children. And then that was within the cultural context of a male and a female, a husband and a wife. Um. I question today um, whether that's our view of human sexuality. Um, is human sexuality just for the practice or for the purpose of procreation? Right. Or has our view uh, of human sexuality changed so that we see it as part of a loving relationship? It's a, a part, a component of a loving relationship with another person whom we are entering into a, a, a deep and intimate relationship with that, with that person. Um, uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's mutual and it's again, intimate and loving. I think about the relationship with my, with my spouse, you know, uh, part of uh, sex for us, as well as for other married couples, I think, um, is seen as part of being in a loving relationship. It's, it's a deep and profound and, and intimate moment. Um, and so it, it's a way in which we share and, exper- and experience uh, our love for one another and, and strengthen our loving relationship. We, we don't just have sex for the purpose of, of procreating, although we have been blessed with two beautiful children. So if you view sex as part of a, not as strictly for procreation, then Paul's condemnation, which really goes to the point of of what's unnatural, uh, but if you have a broader understanding of of sexuality, to see it as part of a loving, intimate, mutual uh, relationship, then I don't understand how you can say that uh, sex is a, a part of a, a loving relationship, an intimate relationship is is sort of okay with heterosexual couples, but not okay with with uh, homosexual couples or uh, you know other uh, LGBTQ persons. So for me, the the passage in in Romans, although it's true that Paul is condemning um, uh, certain, uh, he's condemning homosexuality, but it, he's condemning it because he sees it as unnatural. And I just think at this point in time, although we take the Bible seriously and, and it's important, at the same time, we, um, we've just changed in terms of our understanding of human sexuality. Right. And I mean, um, not just, uh, it hasn't just been a cultural change, I don't think. I mean, I think as we've learned more scientifically about human bodies and genetics and hormones, um, we have have come to understand that um, sexuality isn't a choice. Um, I don't choose to be straight, just like somebody doesn't choose to be gay um, or lesbian. Um, and and also we've we've learned more, especially about the female body in terms of like you know, things that parts of our bodies that exist like purely for pleasure. And if sex was only for procreation, then why would, why would that matter? Why would we have those things um, evolutionarily? Um, and the other thing that I just want to say about this passage is uh, in Romans is that it's sort of um, chock full of, of misogyny as well. Um, so part of, part of what Paul, I think is saying is it, it's, it's not even so much that 
the same sex relationship uh, sex is is un, as unnatural because sex is for procreation but he's saying it's it's unnatural because it makes a man more like a woman and at the time of um that he was writing um womanly was perhaps the worst thing that that a man could be and we still see that kind of toxic masculinity um at play in our culture today um right. where you know more feminine males are um or chastised and, and looked down upon. And that's just a really misguided, uh, misguided view. And, um, but it, it was the reality in Paul's time. It was a, a very patriarchal society. Uh, it was one in which women were basically property. Um, and for a man to be seen as uh, feminine at all um, was a huge, um, a, a huge insult. Um, right. And so, the other interesting thing, this might be, a, you know, a rabbit trail, but there's some um, scholarship that explores whether Paul himself was a homosexual. Um, we know that he was celibate. He writes about being celibate. Um, and uh, he also talks about, you know, really struggling with something he calls a thorn in his side. And, you know, he asks God in one of his letters, you know, I, I, you know, he says, I can never do the things that I want to do, but I always do the things that I don't want to. Um, and so he, I mean, while he's one of the you know, great Christian, you know, leaders and right. writers and saints, you know, he had right. his own struggles too. And it seems like he has, you know, a lens that he's writing through um, that, that maybe might explain, you know, uh, you know, the lady doth protest too much sort of situation. Um, right. So... Yeah, you, you know, and all we've looked at all these six what we call the clobber passages today, and I think just to sum up, what I, I would say is that not when you study them and, and look at the context and what's going on, none of them really offer a solid grounding for condemn uh, for condemnation of LGBT persons uh, in our in our present context, and 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 that's the thing that I think is most important to get across to our listeners. Right, absolutely, and that's why. Um, you know, we can we can consider ourselves uh, Christians who you know view the Bible highly, um, but who also are inclusive and affirming of um, our LGBTQ neighbors. So, right, yeah. So uh, with that, that that's uh, that's all the time that we have for today for this show. I hope that everyone has a, a fabulous Saturday and a great uh, Pride Month. Um, you've been listening to Counterbalance, a progressive Christian talk show hosted by me, Beth Menhusen, and my co-host, Richard Randolph. Um, be sure to tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. We are going to be talking about personhood and what makes us human um, and interviewing um, uh, a scholar in disability studies. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, the scholar's name is David Scott. Uh, I've had the pleasure of, of learning from him, and I, I think it's going to be a really great interview. So join us uh, next Saturday from 9 to 10 here on KZUM for Counterbalance.